and welcome back to the Unleashed podcast. Today I've got a very exciting interview with Kia Pates. She is a dietitian and has an Instagram page and business called Nutrition by Kia. And I thought she would be great to come on because we have a lot of the same values when it comes to nutrition and lots of stuff about intuitive eating and body image and just really tuning in. So did you want to give a little bit of an introduction to yourself as well? Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I'm really excited to chat with you today. Um, So like you said, yes, my name is Kia Pates. I am an accredited practicing dietitian and nutritionist, and I do have a special interest area in eating disorders, disordered eating, and plant-based nutrition actually as well. Um, I'm also the founder of two companies, one called Embody Health, where we are eating disorder specific, um, eating disorder and disordered eating specific company, and also plant nutrition and wellness, where we do specialize in vegan and vegetarian nutrition as well. And in terms of how I work as a dietitian, it can be a little bit different to a lot of other practitioners, depending on who you are, where you come from. So I work from a weight neutral non-diet perspective, meaning that I don't focus on the number of the scales as an indicator of health. I focus on other areas and I really focus on trying to make a safe space for my clients where they don't feel judged, they feel comfortable sharing their issues and concerns around eating and body image. And I really like to focus on helping people improve their relationship with food, mind and body and exercise so they that they can essentially live their their best life and they don't get held back from um, doing the things that they want to do, whether that's going out with friends or wearing a bikini to the beach because they feel ashamed or um, shameful of their body or eating habits. So I like to help people reduce the obsession around food and their body so they can live their best life in a nutshell. Mm, That sounds so amazing. What was it that got you into that side of it? Because I feel like it's still kind of a different approach to a lot of dietitians because a lot of them like kind of work in hospitals and stuff, but a lot of it still revolved around numbers and specific details. So what got you into the disordered eating and body neutral side of it? Yeah, great question. So there's a couple of different ways that I kind of got to the place that I work from now. So The first thing is probably going back to my journey from when I was a teenager myself. So I did struggle with an eating disorder then, was never formally diagnosed, but working in the space now, I definitely had an eating disorder. Um, And I had a lot of struggles with my relationship with food. I was always calorie counting. I was always obsessed with what I was eating and obsessed with kind of my body and trying to get the weight lower on the scales. That essentially is what got me into being a dietitian in the first place. So then I went on and I studied my university degree. And as much as there's, uh, it's quite weight centric at university, there's a lot of talks about numbers and grams of things and BMIs, learning about nutrition and learning that food is more than just calories it's protein and micronutrients and there's all these beneficial things as part of it really actually helped me in my own personal recovery journey during that time I was also plant-based as well and so when I finished my degree um, that's kind of when I started my first business um, plant nutrition and wellness so my focus at plant nutrition and wellness was really to provide a safe space for people who are vegan and vegetarian to be able to see a dietitian that's not going to tell them to go eat meat when that's not something that aligns with um, you know what they believe and their ethics so it was really to provide a safe space for them to feel like someone would understand why they're eating that way Um, however working in that space 
I found there was a lot of people struggling with eating disorders and disordered eating. And it wasn't an area that I was intentionally going to work in. Like I kind of said, my degree was very weight centric. I'd never come across the approach of weight inclusivity or weight neutrality or healthy at every size. Um, Like it was all super, super foreign to me. But after a while of working in kind of like a very weight centric way, I was just seeing that it wasn't, it wasn't working. People, their relationship with food was just getting worse. And then when I started getting more kind of people coming and seeing me with flags of disordered eating or eating disorders, I decided to really kind of upskill into that area. And that essentially led me down the rabbit hole of, um, the health at every size approach and um, a non-diet approach, which aligned a lot more with my values of how I like to work as a, as a professional. Um, and I just found the relationships I had with my clients were so much better and people felt a lot more safe and comfortable. It wasn't just going to another health professional that's telling them to lose weight. It's like, hey, let's take a step back for a sec. Let's have a look at your relationship with food, your relationship with your body. Um, and um, let's unpack that and let maybe let's leave the like weight loss goal um, to the side for a moment. And so it's really the, probably the biggest reason why I stay in it now and I love the work I do is it's to transform someone's relationship with food, to go from there's all these foods that they can't eat, they're feeling scared about eating chocolate, they're feeling scared about eating maybe lollies or or whatever it is to be like, oh, no, I can have chocolate in the house and I'm not going to feel out of control. It's really, it's a really awesome thing to see. And that's what I, that's essentially why I love doing what I do. Mm. Yeah, so I think that approach is really good. And some of the things that I've done with my clients in the past as well, because I've always been someone who doesn't like numbers or specifics, or I get stressed out with like a lot of rules kind of things. Like some people feel free when there's so much structure because they don't have to think about it but I like to kind of be able to do what I want kind of thing so I've told my clients things like instead of weighing yourself every day why don't you write down how you feel every day like just switching little things like that can make a big difference and I was thinking yesterday even instead of giving someone like a step goal (laughs) um even instead of giving someone like a step goal I just track walks so I've never worn like a Fitbit we'll get into that conversation soon but I just track like oh yeah I did like a 30 or 40 minute walk that day and then like in the weekend do a lake walk or a hike or something so you don't need to be like oh my god I've got 500 steps left for the day and like need to walk around for like no reason Yeah, definitely. It's just about like taking that individualized approach, trying to be less restrictive, but of course, like, you know, getting that bigger picture stuff like movement. It's really important for us. It's, you know, important for our mental health and our physical health, but it doesn't have to come down to the exact numbers of steps you get. Mm. Yeah. I also wanted to ask you, what are your top tips for accepting your body through changes, whether it's having a baby, changes in life circumstances or going through periods of mental hardship? So I think the biggest thing here is really acknowledging the fact that it is normal for your body to change, not just during those big periods of change. Yes, definitely those big periods of change. Like I've just given birth Mm. times two and like, Mm. yes, it's, like the changes that happen in your body is insane. But it also is normal for your body to change throughout your life, you know, from going kind of into that early adulthood where, you know, 
your puberty kind of almost happens a second time I often say your hips get like a you know like your hips often get wider um you know people fill out a little bit more and um, you know when you go into your 30s your body changes again your 40s your 50s so just acknowledging that it's, it's kind of normal for your body to change as well but in terms of things to help with acceptance of that process the first thing that I always think about is really just acknowledging or looking into where your body image ideals come for come from in the first place so for example you know when we're children say you know two three four we have no concept of what an ideal body looks like you know it's just this is my body that's my friend's body that's my mum's body it's just a body, but it's not until we kind of live through life and we go through, um, you know, school and we get exposed to social media and the media that our ideal of what our, our idea of what an ideal body looks like starts to shift as well. And that can really influence how we feel towards our body mm. as well as is if we're always feeling like we, you know, need to get to this ideal body, it can make us feel really down about our own body. And we know like the kind of thin ideal that society tells us we should we should be or aim to be is really not representative at all of what the majority of us look like as well. So that would be kind of like one thing that I would always say to examine is just kind of explore where your own body image ideals um, come from and start to unpack that. The other things I'd think about is reducing the messaging that you get that says your body isn't worthy or your body's not okay. So, like, for example, a big thing that comes up is social media. So if you're kind of maybe perhaps noticing how you're feeling before you go on social media and then after, and if you're finding that you're feeling guilty or sad or ashamed of your body after looking at certain accounts or looking um, on yeah, certain people's Instagram pages, it's probably a sign to unfollow them because shame is never a great motivator for health. Um, so just kind of doing a little social media detox, I call it, mm. and kind of going through your your account and following people that perhaps aren't serving you and instead trying to follow people that are more representative of a wide variety of different bodies. Mm. Chucking out your clothes is also another one. So mm. clothes can be that physical reminder that our body is not what it used to be. Um, you know, I, you know, you might have like a, a pair of jeans that's quite a few sizes too small. And instead of kind of working on that acceptance, we're trying to hold on to that. Okay, what if I just tried harder to lose more weight and kind of get into that, those, those jeans again? Mm. Um, again, that's a really big one as well as, you know, trying to reduce again, the, the clothes that don't fit in our, in our, um, in our wardrobe so we have space to buy the clothes that actually fit us mm. and we know that often like you know if you're wearing like an uncomfortable pair of jeans mm. um it really turns on your negative self-talk as well mm. um and so that's just not that's not helpful when we're trying to work on accepting our body and then the last thing that i would i'd think about as well is um exploring the idea of body neutrality um and when we think about what body neutrality actually is it's we think about body image as a little bit of a continuum. So potentially like, you know, one end you're hating your body. You absolutely do not like what it looks like. The other end you've got body positivity where it's like, I love my body and everything about my body. And often when we come from this point of not liking our body, the idea of 
body positivity or loving everything what we look like and everything about what we look like is just so far-fetched and it can just seem really unrealistic for a lot of people. So body neutrality instead really focuses on accepting our body with what it can do for us. So really looking at our body as our vessel um, and focusing on the wonderful things that it does for us rather than what it looks like. So for example, um, you know, you might not like what your legs look like, but we can be grateful that our legs allow us to go run around after our children or take us for a walk and, you know, go see the sunshine. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really about kind of accepting that function of our body rather than the appearance of our body. Mm. I think that's a really good conversation to have and you're like being grateful for just like you're viewing it as the vessel that carries you through life and another thing I notice on social media is I think definitely following a diverse range of bodies helps but also remembering your values when it comes to things so I was having this day I went through like all this trauma work earlier in the year and I just had this day where I was just like sobbing the whole day I was like crying on my dog bed I just did not want to move and I just let myself cry and it was actually like a very healing day but then I remember like jumping online and seeing this girl post like you need to show up to the gym no matter what if you're tired doesn't matter like whatever excuse you need to keep showing up but I just know like my values are different so the fact that I know when to rest is like still very healing for me like you don't need to take on what everyone else says because some people like the heart uh, like the tough love thing and they need that kind of push but just remembering what you kind of need from people and like what to take in or filter out yeah yeah take what you take what you need leave what you don't yeah I saw another post on your page about simple tips to beat fatigue so would you mind going over some of those because I think it's good to bring it back to basics because I went through lots of fatigue earlier in the year as well so if I was struggling with my mental health and all these things, even just little things can add up, like simply not eating enough over time can lead to the nutritional deficiency or like not balancing the blood sugar can lead to crashes and then caffeine and sugar cravings. Like it's not necessarily a huge issue yet, but we can manage it just through like the little daily habits. Yeah, definitely. I think the first thing that I would, I'd always look at is trying to identify where the fatigue is coming from in the first place, because that can help you pinpoint where to start. I say that sometimes it's easier said than done. Like sometimes you might just feel exhausted and tired and have no idea where it comes from. So the first thing that I'd always recommend doing is checking for micronutrient deficiencies. So things like vitamin B12 and iron and zinc and vitamin D, when those are low, that can lead you to feeling a lot more fatigued. Um, And so again, if you have deficiencies there, that would be the first thing that I'd be focusing on is, is getting those up. Um, And while they're doing that, they can also check for other um, irregularities in your blood. So, for example, if your thyroid's out, that can also lead you to feel tired and fatigued as well. The second one is water. And water is probably something that I think people overlook a lot of the time. Mm. But even slight dehydration can really, really affect your energy levels. Mm. Um, So, you know, most people need kind of one and a half to two liters of water a day. And like, look, other fluids count as well. If you're drinking tea or juice, that does count too. Um, But really making sure that you are getting enough water each day, especially a little bit more if you're doing exercise or it's a bit hot. 
if you're doing a lot of exercise or it's very hot, you might even need like a little bit of electrolytes too to help you absorb that water. Um, but definitely trying to get that kind of like eight glasses or so a day mm. is really important. Next one is sleep. Again, that's probably one that is overlooked a lot and sometimes easier said than done as well. Like I know, you know, I've got two kids that wake me up about five times a night. Mm. So I never get enough sleep. Um, but I know for myself that like because I'm waking up so much during the night, I'm going to have to go to bed earlier to kind of compensate for the fact that my sleep's going to be more broken. So testing and playing around with different sleep routines, sleep hygiene is really important, mm. trying not to go on your phone before bed, which we all say, but we all do as well, like yeah. myself included. Um, but literally just having that sleep routine, even if it's like, like, for example, for me, I listen to Harry Potter and Audible every night before I go to bed. And it just helps me like flick into the, okay, it's time for me to go to sleep mode. And if I don't have that, I can't get to sleep. Mm. And so it's just trying to find different things that are going to be, um, you know, useful for you or, or work with your, your lifestyle. And then yes, from a nutrition side of thing. Yeah. If we think about um, like the body, the body is like a car um, and the fuel for the car is food. And so if we're not putting any fuel in the car, your car's not going to run. Similar if you're not putting enough food in your body, your body's not going to run properly. And so we really need to focus on making sure you're eating enough during the day and also eating regularly as well. Like mm -hmm. if you try and eat kind of regularly throughout the day, so maybe breakfast, lunch, dinner, morning tea, afternoon tea, then that's going to give your body this opportunity to get small doses of energy regularly throughout the day, which is going to be good for keeping your energy levels stable and your body's blood sugar levels stable and really help with that just constant energy throughout the day as well. Mm. So those would probably be the, the, the main areas that I would focus on to start off with. But like I said, identifying that where the fatigue is coming from is a really big thing to start off with. Mm. Yeah, I think the water thing is funny because – everyone knows it but even I don't drink enough water but I feel like I've got like this 2.2 liter bottle so if you just fill it up once a day instead of like trying to remember to have all these glasses and going out of your way like if you just know you're like almost all the way through your bottle it's like a good way to keep track of it but if we're not and then we're tired in the afternoon so then I make like another iced coffee and then it's like more dehydrating so it's like yeah. easy to fall into yeah. the bad habits yeah, and caffeine yeah. is a massive one because, like, obviously caffeine is a energy hit, right? But it also crashes your energy a few hours later. Not against coffee at all. Like, I drink coffee every day. But, you know, it like, I definitely notice it in terms of crashing with my energy. Plus, if we rely on caffeine too much and coffee in particular and tea, like, that can stop our iron absorption as well. Mm. So then we can be in this vicious cycle of, um, drinking more coffee to give us more energy, mm. but then the coffee stopping our iron absorption, so then the iron deficiency making mm. us more fatigued. So it can be in a really vicious cycle. Mm, that's so true. <laughs> what are some of your top tips to stop weighing yourself and obsessing over scales? So if someone is so used to jumping on the scales every day and they kind of can't let go of that being the measurement, how would you get them to transition out of that? A really good question and something I think a lot of people do struggle with a lot. So the first thing that I would always take, the first method, is always just exploration and understanding yourself. So really kind of trying to unpack why you want to weigh yourself in the first place and, again, where you got that messaging from. So similar to, like, what we were talking about body image before, we don't 
you know we're not we're not five years old wanting to weigh ourselves all the time like when we're young that that just isn't a thing but it's these messages throughout our life that tell us okay I need to lose weight I need to check my weight regularly so really kind of unpacking where that's come from where that's come from in the beginning for you um and whether that messaging is is harmful um we know that body weight is actually not the best indicator of health it's actually Mm. a pretty poor indicator of health and it's so much more important to focus on your health behaviors like not smoking, not drinking too much alcohol, eating enough fruits and veg, doing exercise. We know that that's so much more important to health and that weight is so, so genetically focused um, and so much more out of our control um, as much as we try and control it. Another thing to think about as well is also some of the, the thoughts you might be having around weighing yourself. So for example, something that a lot of my clients talk about is, you know, I was feeling fine and happy and then I weighed myself and now I feel shameful and guilty. And, you know, if you're kind of weighing yourself and you're kind of getting those doses of shame, similar to what I said before, shame is not a very good motivator of health. So often we either feel like, oh, I'm going to give up on all my health goals and just eat whatever, like stuff this. It kind of creates that all or nothing mentality a little bit in our head. Or we just kind of beat ourselves up a lot. And so noticing kind of our thoughts and how our thoughts might fluctuate around our weighing ourselves can kind of be that little bit of an indicator of going, okay, maybe this isn't the best thing for me to do. And in terms of practical, you don't necessarily have to go, okay, from weighing yourself, say, for example, you're weighing yourself every day or multiple times a day to uh, going cold turkey and saying, I'm never weighing myself. Like that's definitely fine, but not everyone can do that. But you might just want to reduce the frequency. So like, go mm-hmm. okay, um, you know, say you're weighing yourself twice a day, go to once a day. If you're doing it once a day, doing it every second day as well. And trying to substitute it with a different activity. So this can be a really good opportunity to look into some of the body neutrality stuff at the same time. So for example, if you go into the bathrooms, weigh yourself every morning maybe perhaps every second day, like say you're someone who's doing that every morning and the goal is to do it every second day, put a journal in the bathroom and instead of weighing yourself, go write in your journal and write one thing that you're grateful for your body for, for that day. And that just means that instead of kind of, you know, taking out that habit and not having anything there, we can kind of reduce the negative thought processes of um, related to our weight while adding in some positive Um, body neutrality thoughts at the same time Mm. yeah one thing I've always kept in mind over the years because I've never I've probably only weighed myself like a few times a year like if I see a scale somewhere I'm like oh I wonder what it is but the weird thing with me is I was quite athletic when I was at school but I just had like I was never overweight but just had like way chubbier cheeks and more like body fat on my arms just from like puberty um but at this age now so like 10 years later since I left high school I still weigh the same as school but I look completely different like my whole body composition's changed but way more muscle like I was always happy with myself back then but you can still literally change everything but because of the even balance of building more muscle and everything I still weigh the same so I've never viewed it as a like factor of if I'm doing well or not and there's also things like yeah if you ate takeaways the night before and it's got more sodium like you'll be weighing different and different times throughout the month and then it doesn't mean you like put on all this fat and you need to freak out and go do all this exercise to punish yourself because you haven't 
it's just like different amounts of water and things in your body yeah exactly your weight fluctuates yeah. so much like especially as women with periods and stuff like that you know massive like yeah your body can like fluctuate like five or six kilos a day like it's, <laughs> yeah it's pretty massive yeah would you be able to talk to us about learning to tune into your hunger and fullness cues because that's a topic I've been interested in as well especially in the bodybuilding world I've still pretty much done intuitive eating I've only tried to track a couple of times and I always I get to like breakfast lunch and then always forget at dinner and then like never know what I had but a lot of people I think if they didn't have a plan they don't even know how much to eat and I also did a survey because I made a new little uh, free sculpted by plants uh, email course and I was asking people like what's the number one inhibitor from helping you reach your physique goals and they said like oh they were going off an online calculator that calculated it wrong so they were in a surplus but they thought it was a deficit the whole time blah 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 so they actually like don't know how much to put on the plate so how would someone get started with being intuitive and knowing actually how much they need? Yes, good question, massive mm. question. And intuitive eating is definitely a journey as well. So I think I would always kind of just claim this by, obviously with all these tips that we talk about in the podcast, you know, some of them take, take, what, take what you can and leave what you won't, not replacing individual advice, of course. With regard to hunger and fullness, again, <laughs> kind of going back to children I feel like that's been a bit of a common theme is kids have a very good identification of their hunger and fullness cues like they can usually tell when they're hungry and stop when they're full but then again throughout life you know we might try different diets we might try to use calorie counters things like that and you know that really takes away from us listening to our internal hunger and fullness cues we're trying to listen to external hunger and fullness cues as well and so the first thing that I would always say is that not everyone experiences hunger and fullness cues and it doesn't, and even if you do, they might not be what you think they are. So often people who are neurodivergent um, find it really difficult to um, experience hunger and fullness cues. So that's because of something called interceptive awareness. Mm -hmm. So they might not be able to um, identify their hunger and fullness cues. So I guess that can be a little bit of a, a sense of compassion for people who may have, say, ADHD um, and they keep on trying intuitive eating and it's just not working for them mm. um, because, you know, sometimes our, like our bodies just work a little bit differently and that's okay. The other time that hunger and fullness cues don't necessarily work as well is if you've had a history of restrictive diets um, or and or eating disorders as well. So especially if you've had a restrictive eating disorder, hunger and fullness cues do not work the same way that they they ideally should. Um, and so with them, like we might actually be getting them to eat past the point of fullness mm. um, as part of the process of recovery mm. um, before they're able to um, get to a place where they, um, you know, might be able to listen to their hunger and fullness cues properly. Mm. And although eating disorders and it's going through bodybuilding is very different there's similar principles that happen in the body as well because you're on very you know you go on calorie deficits you go on very strict diets you know and so the hunger and fullness cues can turn off during that process so some people might go through that comp stage and they just don't get hunger and fullness cues and that's 
kind of mm. a side effect of the kind of restriction that it is. Mm. But all of those aside, the kind of few things that I talk about would be firstly really focusing on eating regularly. So kind of doing breakfast, lunch, dinner, morning tea, afternoon tea. If you aren't eating regularly, if you're kind of eating all over the place, you're not really going to get hunger and fullness cues because your body doesn't really know when you're eating mm. as well. And so kind of having that kind of three to four hours in between meals, in between snacks, gives your body opportunity to go, okay, I'm going to be getting food here at this time, usually around 12 p.m. every day. So I'm going to get some hunger cues here. And over time, that kind of regular eating can really help with that hunger, um, get, bringing those hunger cues back. Um, with regards to um, when you are eating your meals as well, of course, like if you have a meal that's, say, a bowl of salad, it's just lettuce, like just vegetables, right? You're probably going to get full at the start, but that's not going to leave you full for a long period of time. So we'd also want to look at, okay, how are you building your meals? Have you got a source of protein in there? Have you got a source of carbohydrates in there, a source of fats? And all of those will help to build a balanced and satiating meal as well that's going to lead you full for a long period of time as well. Mm. Um, the other thing that I would look at is potentially using like a, a hunger and fullness diary to begin with. So before kind of doing this whole process, just kind of looking at where you feel like your hunger and fullness cues are. And then when you're doing this process, using that as well to help you go, okay, how full am I now? Um, you know, how hungry am I now? Because that just, again, brings that sense of awareness to it as well. And then using like a hunger and fullness scale throughout this process too. So um, hunger and fullness scale is usually a scale that goes from one where you're like ravenously hungry, you've waited too long to eat, you might be shaky and lightheaded to you know 10 where you're like full and satisfied and you're completely stuffed and you want to go to sleep like that Christmas day feeling and kind of um you know if you google hunger and fullness scales we've got one on our website if you go www.inbodyhealth.com there's a blog article that's got a hunger and fullness scale there um but you kind of want to be in the middle where you're kind of ready to eat you might be getting a little bit of of hunger um, and then kind of when you're finished you want to be like neutral or satisfied um, and so kind of uh, avoiding going from the kind of one extreme to the other and that's kind of where the regular eating is really important because if you're waiting too long in between your meals you're going to get really hungry and then you probably eat fast and then you're going to get really really full as well so it's about mm -hmm. kind of not coming into that meal super 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 starving as well but also also with saying all of that as well like when we think about hunger, we often think about that that grumbling stomach, but that's not always the case. Like a lot of the time when we get hungry, we might just feel a little bit like shaky or we might even start to feel a little bit lightheaded or our energy levels drop. Those are all signs of hunger as well. So mm -hmm. don't just wait until you're physically like experiencing that grumbling stomach because you might actually be finding that you're waiting too long to eat. Mm. I think those are really good tips. Another thing I was thinking is even the choice of food to so say if someone is eating like a donut or McDonald's, something that doesn't have much fiber, it might be really high in calories and you might think you're full for a few moments, kind of like the lettuce thing, but it's not actually like keeping you full because it kind of just goes straight through you. So I think, yeah, the food type is something to keep in mind as well. And being present with food, like I don't do that. I always watch a program while I'm eating, but trying to at least eat slower so you're not like scoffing your face, just like enjoying every mouthful and like letting it digest as you go. 
Yeah, and like if you are someone who's finding their like what you said, scoffing your face, like maybe looking at why that's happening. Like have you waited too long between your eating or is it because of your eating environment or is it because you're stressed? Like that can be a really good um, you know, place to start. Like I always talk about whenever you have something that might not be quote unquote ideal, like say if you find you're scoffing your face, right? Um don't look at it as a failure. Looking at look at it as a learning experience. Like, what can you learn from how you're eating in that way? And that can be a really good way to go forward because you don't have to do it all at once. Mm. But if you can just kind of start to reflect and go, okay, this worked this day. This didn't work this day. You know, what was the difference? That can be a really good kind of step forward with intuitive eating. Mm. The next topic I'm excited for. Can we chat about smart watches because? A lot of people find them useful. The negative thing I know about is that some of them that say calories burned during the workout is completely inaccurate. But some people like it because it's good to have like a step goal and like to know how much you've slept kind of thing. But I just I've always just been a person that just doesn't like numbers. So for some people, yeah, it might be actually detrimental if they like haven't reached the exact step goal, but maybe you don't need to do that many steps that day because your week can fluctuate and maybe you do more on the weekend naturally or something. So what are your thoughts on that? And how do you know if it's like a positive or negative thing for the person to utilize? Yeah, great question. I'm someone who actually, I really like spot watches for myself. Like I love my Apple watch. I love the fact that it sends me notifications all the time. I like that it tracks my movement because Working from home, it's very easy to not get enough movement every day. Um, And so it does naturally help me feel more conscious of it and go, okay, yeah, that's right. Like I haven't done any movement today. And as someone who gets very fixated and focused on their work Mm. because I've got ADHD, Mm. like it just sometimes the movement just like goes to the back of my mind. And then I go, okay, why am I feeling mentally shit that today? okay, it's because I haven't done enough movement, haven't, haven't gone outside, haven't exercised. So for me personally, I like that it helps me be more conscious, but I also know I've got a healthy relationship with movement. I don't feel obsessed or I don't feel compulsed to meet the number of steps. I don't feel guilty if I haven't met that number of steps. It's just helping me feeling conscious. I do think it can be really negative to you if you're someone who gets fixated by numbers Mm. or feels a lot of guilt or shame if you haven't achieved your goal. So, for example, like if you haven't achieved 10,000 steps a day or if you, um, uh, yeah, like haven't closed your rings on your Apple Watch for the activities, if that's, if it's making you obsessed, if you're finding your, like going out of your way to like do it. Like for example, waking up late at night and being like, okay, I need to walk around the house until I've hit my step step goal. Like potentially could be a bit of a red flag towards exercise for you. Um, you know, and we always talk about, we want movement to be joyful rather than kind of focusing on just changing our body weight and body shape as well. So if you, again, yeah, feel any of that kind of compulsion there or obsession around the numbers and, um, you know, the amount of rings you have to close or, you know, steps that you have to hit, it might not be a good option for you to use. And again, like kind of you, you mentioned before, it's not overly accurate at all. Like mm. the calories burnt on it is not very accurate. And um, yeah, so like if you're again using that as a, okay, this is how much I need to, um, this is how much I should be eating every day like no it just doesn't work like it's it's kind of like online calculators there are you know 
there are a number, but there, there's a there's a whole wide range of factors that are not included there. Like just because, say, person A and person B are the same height and weight and, you know, exercise the same amount of time, their body composition could be completely different. Their muscle mass is different. Their um, genetics are different. So why are they like having the same calorie output of this is how many calories you should eating every day it's just it's just not accurate at all Mm. um yeah and again it kind of leads into that relying on external numbers to tell us how much we should eat rather than relying on kind of like our internal awareness Mm. yeah I think those are really good points and the last thing I wanted to ask you was how have you found being a plant-based dietitian when it goes against the norm because even with your studies uh I'm not sure if you like went for animal reasons or health reasons but in your studies like they would push that a lot because it's like the standard approach like you need milk for calcium and all that stuff I assume yes and no like to be honest a lot of our studies are very much like micronutrient specific so we'd learn about protein and the uh, like what protein is built from and what's it used for the body which doesn't really change like protein's mm-hmm. protein calcium's calcium um no matter where it's derived from so it was very nutrient focused so it didn't necessarily mm-hmm. like they never pushed us really to like do one way or the other mm-hmm. um and everything that we always learned in our studies was always everything can be substituted so like oh, if you are you know kind of dairy for whether you're vegan or you've got a dairy allergy um you know you can have soy milk as long as it's calcium fortified if you don't eat meat whether it's because again religious reasons or you're vegan like there's other options as well Mm. the only thing I found hard was because it's not as common the norm is they didn't really have as many examples so for example like we had like a food service unit um oh sorry no food science unit um where we had to do some cooking and like they didn't they had like out of the whole semester they had like one vegan meal um so like that was a bit hard um because like I couldn't eat anything and it would have been nice to eat food um and so for example in terms of what that means as you come out as a dietitian it just means that if you're not someone like me who is plant-based you probably just don't have the skills to help someone who is Mm plant-based as well because you didn't have as much practical knowledge it's not necessarily like they told us you can't be plant-based you just don't have those practical skills mm-hmm. versus for me when I came out this is the stuff I eat this is the stuff my clients eat it's a lot harder for me to it's a lot easier for me to sometimes work with plant-based people because I know the food system so well mm-hmm. versus like if you're someone who's omnivore you're not really checking the f- new fake meats on the market that mm-hmm. often mm-hmm. so it's um so like the the studies itself were fine um I guess uh, I really enjoyed working in the plant-based space like my approach has always been like I want to create a safe space for people who are vegan or vegetarian to get support and get help from someone that's not going to be like hey you need to eat meat Mm. so like you know whether that's their IBS and kind of you know we need to do a low FODMAP diet you know I'm going to be like hey let's try to do this as a vegan for example rather than saying you need to eat meat to be able to do low FODMAP diet and just because as a dietitian if you're not plant-based you might not you might not have that knowledge but at the same time I don't really convince people to go vegan like I think that should Mm. be an individual choice yes I'm always encouraging people to eat more plant-based foods in their diet eating more legumes fruits and vegetables because we know that's so healthy for them we know that um you know like 
this is general health speaking, you know, I kind of work with them where they're at. Mm -hmm. But there's also like nuances to that as well. What I'm going to do to someone who's seeing me because they've got high cholesterol where we might have like a really big plant-based focused and they might be omnivore, for example, is going to be very different to someone who's an omnivore who's got an eating disorder and has got maybe anorexia where we're actually trying to liberalize their diet. And even if they said, hey, Kia, I want to go vegan, we might go, hey, I acknowledge that. That's awesome. Why don't we just park that for a little bit while we're working through your recovery to work out whether that's um a good thing for you right now, whether it's going to create extra mm. restriction, um, you know, can we leave it a little bit later so you can do it from a values perspective rather than it's an eating disorder perspective. So mm. that's kind of, I guess, the interesting area for me working in the crossover between eating disorders and vegan and vegetarian is people can recover being vegan and vegetarian as well, but we do have to have that bit where we identify, okay, are we being vegan and vegetarian from an eating disorder perspective or from a values perspective as well? Mm. And, you know, that's part of the process too. So very individualized, you know, um, but I really like what I do because I just found that, especially when I started my business like 2017, the first one, you know, there was a lot of my clients that came to me that said, okay, you know, I've seen a dietitian before. They told me to eat meat. They told me to eat fish. Um, and that's often just because dietitians don't like they might not know like you know if you're like if you're not vegan or vegetarian you, you might not even know how to use legumes so to advise mm-hmm. a client on how to use legumes can be really difficult mm. um, so I just wanted to kind of create that that safe space for people but of course I never try and convert anyone a lot of my like probably like 50% of my clients are plant-based other 50% are omnivore. I just work with people where they're at yeah I think that's really good what you said about if they've got the eating disorder you might tell them to park that for a little bit because I don't think many people would even take that approach but there is this other conversation with like is no I don't believe all of it is but like is veganism like a thing people do with orthorexia where then they don't eat anything that they think is unhealthy and then that can become the eating disorder from like being too strict within that realm as well so it's like another interesting conversation like yeah making sure it's right for them and they're starting it from a yeah a good place not a place to further restrict so that's yeah really good. it's yeah like like look orthorexia and like for your listeners that's essentially similar to anorexia but with an obsession of healthy eating and clean eating you can do that with a vegan diet or you could do that with an omnivore diet, like you both. But, like, of course, like, it is quite common with vegans. Mm. I Like, I have seen that, definitely. But then on the flip side, you know, if we're working on recovery, we don't have to go, hey, like, the orthore- like veganism is part of the orthorexia, let's just get you to eat meat. Mm. We could go, okay, let's trial, you know, like, let's trial other vegan products to expand your diet first and kind of yeah. get to that place where we might be introducing meat later on if that's if that's what we need to do. Mm. Because, like, there is so many, fa- like, there's so many other options. Like, you can get a vegan drumstick, you can get a non-vegan drumstick, right? Mm. Like, there's, there's so many options. Mm. So it's not like it was previously where there's not, other vegan alternatives there's so many vegan alternatives these days so Mm. yeah it's um yeah it's interesting (laughs) cool so that's everything for today i'll link your instagram in the description below was there anything else you wanted to add before you wrap up 
Yeah, so if you want to follow me, definitely Nutrition by Kia, K-I-A-H on Instagram. Um, we also have a podcast, www. Oh, sorry, Embody Health, I-M-B-O-D-I <laughs> Health, and a website, which is yeah. the WW one. Um, and yeah, so if you have any um, questions, feel free to reach out to me on Instagram or listen to our podcast where we speak all things improving your relationship with food, mind, body, and exercise. Hmm. That sounds amazing. I love your approach. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing your knowledge with everyone. (laughs) That's okay. Thanks for having me. That's okay.